0: up to Luke chapter 23, as we work our way through the Bible, going to do something different today. You know, if you've been here at any length of time, when I say that, it could be good. (laughs) Or it couldn't. (laughs) We're just going to see. I want to do something today that I haven't done before in getting to this chapter, And specifically this day. Because as we will see, we're going to see one day in the life of Jesus. Remember last week when we saw uh, Peter having not a good day? Remember that? Well, this this is what what it looks like to have a really bad day. From 6 a.m. to roughly 6 p.m., a 12-hour period in the life of Jesus. What does that look like? And this entire chapter 23 gives us from 6 a.m. to roughly 5, 6 p.m. Everybody got that? So we're going to look at this entire day. Yes, you read ahead. It's a lot of verses. I don't want to get bogged down in Greek, in Hebrew today. I want you to look at it like Luke looked at it and like how they would have read it in this day. And even though we're looking at the crucifixion, and a lot of times I go into detail about the crucifixion, Luke didn't need to tell anybody about a crucifixion because they all knew it. They were all raised around it. They all saw it. And if you want to learn more about the crucifixion, you can go back and re-listen to some of the sections in Matthew, Mark, and John. But today, Friday, On the calendar with Jesus, it's a.m. 6. And then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. This is the greatest day in humanity next to the Sunday that we will see of your resurrection. But Lord, dying for us, paying the payment for us, invaluable and so Lord speak to us grant wisdom to us bless those who are watching us Lord over the internet and over the radio in Jesus name amen keep your place here this is the only place we're going to turn to today I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5 keep your place here the trial and the death of Jesus revealed both the wicked heart of man and the gracious heart of God When men were doing their worst, God was giving his best. And so Romans 5, verse 20 says this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Underline this. But where sin abounded, grace, and the word is hyperabounded, much more. Isn't that good news? So as you this event unfold, this sham trial that started in the a.m., in the early morning period, that was a sham trial, and now they bring Jesus to Pilate. You might think to yourself, 6 a.m., that's kind of early. The Romans got their work done early, especially living in the Mediterranean, where in the afternoon it became, anybody know, hot, to which they participated in one of my favorite events, the siesta. And so they would work early, siesta, then go back into their work day. Listen, we need to remember this as we journey through. Jesus was not crucified because of evil men. That did happen. He was crucified from the foundations of the world. This plan was set in motion. And so although man has a part in it, God also had a plan for his son. So... The whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, notice, of these three things that the religious leaders bring against Jesus to the secular leader of the Romans, Pilate. He says, we found this fella perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying to him that he is the Christ. So three things that will get Rome's attention. Number one, Perverting the nation or telling people not to listen to the government, uh, pushing them away from that and the necessity of God in their life. That secularism wasn't what uh, they should focus on, but a relationship with God. And and, uh, uh, I would say Jesus was guilty of that. But he wasn't the next one forbidding to pay taxes he said render under caesar what is caesar you know facts are amazing isn't it well really not in this day but it used to be that we had critical thinking and that someone could say listen i can bring all these witnesses and say that jesus did not say not to pay taxes to caesar in fact let me roll the tape of what he did say oh you can't because it's banned do you see that you think to yourself there's nothing new under the sun, right? It was a sham trial there, and there's a sham trial going on in Congress today. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to move on. 56 verses, people. So, not only forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, but also saying that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Now, that is true, but then they add a king Yes, it is true that Jesus is a king, but what did he say? I did not come this time to set forth a kingdom. That is coming. Well, that's going to get the attention of the Romans. And so Pilate answered, uh, asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and says, It is as you say. And so Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. I want you to note this, three times Pilate is going to called Jesus innocent three times. Now, anybody know the outcome? He still goes to the cross. So that tells us that Pilate, well, kind of like all other politicians, bending to the will of the people rather than what the law says or what is right. And he says, I find no fault in this man but they were the more fierce. Isn't it ma- amazing what happens when people are given something they don't want to hear, like facts? And then they burn down Portland. I'm sorry, let's move on. <laughs> You'll get that. on I, I got to throw something in. Then he, stir- <laughs> he stirs up the people, they say, teaching throughout all of Judea beginning with the Galilee to this place. Great. They just proved that the message that Jesus was proclaiming was all over Israel, and the uh, the religious leaders didn't like that. They didn't like people having hope and freedom. Religious leaders didn't want people to have hope and freedom. Amazing, isn't it? Not that that could happen today. Now, when Pilate heard of Galilee... Now, listen to this politician. This is fun. (laughs) When he hears the Galilee, he asks, hey, is this guy a Galilean? And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who also was in Jerusalem at that time. No better politician than to pass the buck. Kick it down the road, as we say. Don't make a ruling right now that'll forever be entrenched in a law. We're just going to kindly kind of talk about it in the Supreme Court so that 40 other cases have to come. How about you just make a final ruling on it? Well, they didn't want to do that either. Pilate kicks it down the road, and he sends it to Herod. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time, this is interesting, to see him. And he had many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who massacred the infants in Bethlehem. Do you remember that? When the Magi came from the east? It was Antipas, now this Herod Antipas, who murdered John the Baptist for condemning his illicit relationship with his brother's wife. This is also the Herod whom Jesus called that fox or that little fox. So the Herods were brutal, and Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist after John the Baptist wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. (laughs) I want to bring it to today. Oh, wait, wait, we can't say anything against politicians. Okay. Well, John lost his life because he stood up against what was going on, the immorality in the government. He stood up. He says, I I don't care what the consequences are. Now, that's important. I don't want to get off track because... When we disobey or, or we um, disregard some things that the government does, we don't do it in violence, but we need to remember that if there is a consequence, we take the consequence. Just like John the Baptist. Just like in Acts 4, when they came back and they were, the, the disciples had suffered many things by the religious leaders and it said that they were excited that they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus. Jesus. I post to you, I don't think a lot of people are going to be excited about that in the next few years or decades, whatever it is. Now, notice Herod, like most people, they're excited at first, but when the truth starts talking, they're not so excited anymore. And Jesus, it seems, is a parlor act for Herod. It's a novelty for him. He's in the news, Jesus, and so uh, Herod wants to meet him. In fact, what does it say in that verse? He had hoped that there would be some magic trick that Jesus could do in front of Herod. People always want to see a miracle, but guys, the gospels are filled with them. We don't need any more to prove who Jesus is. And certainly Jesus didn't need to prove anything in front of the little fox. (laughs) And then he questioned him about many words. And he answered him, what? Nothing. (laughs) And then the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Strongly accused him. And then Herod, with his men of war, uh, treated him with contempt and they mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe um, and sent him back to Pilate. So if you don't get the information you want, what do you typically do with your enemies? You mock them and you marginalize them. Uh, I was just listening to uh, Jan Markell's uh, Understanding the Times this week, good episode again. And there is a movement inside of the Biden administration. By the way, there's a new group. There's a Freedom Caucus. You ever heard of that? The Freedom Caucus, a group of guys and and ladies inside of Congress that are freedom-loving, you know, Constitution-based. Well, there's a new group called the Secular Democrats. Have you heard of that yet? How could you be shocked about this? Secular Democrats. Do you know what their number one agenda is? removing the First Amendment to this group of people, Christians. It's declared. They've talked about it. They don't want Christians to have the right to say or believe or even go to church. They want to marginalize the church so that we no longer are involved in government. They want government to just simply be secular. No mor- Can you imagine what the federal government would look like without the morality of a few congressmen and senator? It's like those guys are holding back the tide. Can you imagine if they said, now uh, there is a litmus test to being a congressman or a senator? Remember the words of Dianne Feinstein, who said of uh, Amy Coney Barrett, that her faith was disturbing to her, that she was a zealot and believed things that, oh, dear Diane, didn't want to hear. I can say that of her. She comes from San Francisco. That should explain it. And so notice with me again that they mocked Jesus with contempt, and he mocked him by putting on a robe. They sent him back to Pilate, and that very day, Pilate and Herod had become friends. Before this event, they were enemies. They hated one another. It's amazing what happens. <laughs> Don't, I've got a lot of verses. Don't tell me to go down that. Isn't it amazing what happens? Something happens in in the country or something that the the enemies of the world in Congress, all of a sudden they're kumbaya and holding hands. You're like, there's something wrong. Something wrong going on. Well, now we have Herod (laughs) and Pilate becoming buddies. He said, for previously they had been at enmity with one another. And then Pilate, verse 13, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people or leading them astray. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence, and I find no fault in this man concerning the things which you have accused him of. Listen, when a Roman official says, I find no fault with him, the case is closed, and yet this is the second time, and they continue. Why don't we follow the rule of law? He says, I find no fault in this man concerning the things which notice you have accused him of. You know, I think it's interesting. If you just let real evidence and facts come out, just let it all come out. Don't hide it. Don't be afraid of it. If your position is firm, why are you hiding us bringing something else out? That tells me that you're not firm in your position, and you're afraid if other people hear that you're a hypocrite and go to the French Laundry for dinner when no one else can in Napa Valley. (laughs) That all of a sudden the people will rise up. Exactly. And so you must be marginalized, Jesus must be marginalized, and the religious establishment comes crashing down. Do you see why Jesus, when he's coming in Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you together as a, as a mother you know, hen gathers her chicks. He knows the religious leaders who should know better are going to hang him out to dry. All right, verse 15. They accused him, no, neither did Herod, for I send you back to him. And indeed, n- notice, nothing deserving of death had been done by him. The secular Roman leader says, I cannot crucify this guy. He has broken no Roman law. I- I'll tell you, Let me. this is a little information. The Ro- Romans at this point are, are interesting to me. They are powerful and they are brutal, and yet... They allowed people at this time, later it's going to change, they allowed people at this time basically to have freedom of religion. They didn't tell you what to think or how to think far as your belief. Now, later on, they will have Caesar worship, and that will be different. But at this point, they really don't care if this (coughs) Galilean is creating a so-called new... They don't care. And so he classifies him as not deserving of death. I find that very fascinating. But notice this politician. Doesn't just say, hey, I'll send him away. He says, I will chastise him. That means I will just go and scourge him, which is beating him to a pulp just before he is dead. Then I'll hand him back to you. So don't get excited about Pilate. Pilate's a brutal man as well. You don't become an official of Rome without being brutal. There were no nice guys in the Roman government. Therefore, I will chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. So Luke tells us a little bit of that, that it was important for them. It was a a token to the Jewish people. Verse 18. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and to release to us Barabbas. Now, at this point, they had this guy named Barabbas. And he is an insurrectionist. He is a murderer. I want you to note that because the other Gospels tell us that. He is a murderer. And because Pilate is going to give one prisoner uh, to them to release, the, the question is, Is it Barabbas, a murderer, or an innocent man? Jesus. And what does the crowd say? Notice, they all cried out with one voice, saying, Away with this man. This same Jesus is still in front of everyone else on planet Earth. And what do people do with it? Do they say, I don't want to have this man ruling over us as well. I want to have my own life. That's how Marxism got its foothold and Darwinism. They didn't want to have anything to do with this creator God. So they wanted to create something else, an alternative. And that alternative is secular humanism. Hence this new group of Democrats. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with this God. And so I will marginalize it and I will put it down and I will elevate the state and I will elevate secular humanistic ways of thinking. Notice who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion. He's an insurrectionist. A true insurrectionist, I might add. Notice for murder. And Pilate, therefore, I I have a love-hate relationship with Pilate. I just wish you would have stood up, but we know that that's not the plan that God had. Well, I, Pilate, by the way, does get his dig in when he puts the sign up, up above the cross. And remember the religious leaders say, oh, no, no, oh, put that he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, I've made it so, which means don't mess with me anymore. Pilate, therefore, verse 20, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, saying, uh, but they shouted him down, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now, again, and I don't want to get into crucifixion, and I encourage you to listen to any of our other messages about crucifixion, but this is going to get the attention of Pilate because Pilate knows how brutal crucifixion is, and so... What boggles the mind of Pilate is that the religious leaders are asking Pilate to brutally crucify one of their own Jewish people who is a teacher, a rabbi. That doesn't compute with Pilate. In fact, his wife comes to him. It's not in here, Luke. His wife comes to him and says, don't have anything to do with that just man. By the way, Pilate later on will kill himself because of this. But they shouted all the more, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them a third time. Luke wants everyone to know in the Roman world, third time, why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. I find no fault in this man. By the way, if, if people would just openly look at Jesus, their only response is, I find no fault in this man. But he has a purpose. Jesus has a greater purpose. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But they insisted... Demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and their voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. Isn't it like our country right now? The loudest voices prevail. It doesn't mean they're smart or right. It just means they're loud. How about you? But I can't stand loud people. And I can't stand ignorant people. And that doesn't mean stupid. It just means they don't know the facts. We used to have terms in the United States of America, words that had meanings. And we're losing that. And now we are redefining words that those words have been stayed there for millennia before. They prevailed because they were the loudest. I don't want to go down this path. But I want you to know this. When they come against us, and they will, they will come against the church. They're trying to put Mike McClure in jail in San Jose, California. Over a million dollars in fine and personal fine of over $60,000. Personally, with another youth pastor. They are the tip of the spear. Listen, if they prevail they will start going after them all. But when that happens, if the church, I just say this because I know history, and I know most people don't know history, especially from World War II. And we have Erwin Lutzer's book out there about this topic, When a Nation Forgets God. But when they start getting loud, if the church does not, Push back, and that doesn't mean us yelling in their face. I'm just talking about unity and standing up. But can I tell you from my perspective as a pastor, I will see probably, oh, the majority of people not stand up. And they won't push back. And then we'll go down the path to Germany, Russia, China, North Korea, And all of a sudden, there will be a camp somewhere with Christians in it, and people will wonder, how did we get here? Because we didn't stand up and make our voices heard. And by the way, accept the consequences of that. Politician, verse 24, and Pilate gave the sentence, that it should be as they requested. By the way, I don't mean to be that a bummer, Al. I'm like, you're like, we were doing well, and then you bummed us out. (laughs) So Pilate gave the sentence as it was requested. So the mob got what it wanted. Not the rule of law. The mob got what they wanted. That'll never happen. And he released to them the one that was requested. Who was that? The murderer, Barabbas. For who rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man named Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it. Now, the reason why is because Jesus is, was scourged, uh, barely holding on. Masses amounts of loss of blood. He, he probably hasn't had any water to refresh himself. He, you can't carry that cross beam. Jesus was unable to do that. And so Simon takes it on. And a great multitude of people followed him. And women also mourned and lamented him. And Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. Interesting, isn't it? For indeed the days are coming in which you will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say, say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they did these things to the green wood, what will be done to the dry? (laughs) You ever read that and you went, what? Here it is. Jesus has already talked about this. This is the 70 AD invasion by Romans, by Titus Vespasia. We've already went through this. Jesus calls himself the green wood, and he calls Israel dry because they are living a life of religion and not relationship. This is what religion will do. It will make you dry and brittle. A relationship with Christ is green. You ever try to, you know, you go up to a a branch and it's green, it's alive? You can bend it, can you? It's kind of hard to break it, actually. But dry, you know that snaps right off. Jesus gives them a warning. Now, there were also two others, criminals with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary or Golgotha, they crucified him and the criminal on one side and then on the other. So right outside of the fortress, Antonio's fortress, and if you go to Israel with us, uh, someday, Lord willing, and if not here, we'll be there in the kingdom. It'll be all right. But outside the fortress is not very far from the old Antonian Fortress Wall. There's a, today, there is a bus station. And right at the bus station, there's a place called Gordon's Garden or Gordon's Tomb, right? And when you go into the gardens, it's so beautiful. And then you come around the bend and there's a place where you can sit and you look up at this rock outcropping and it looks like a skull. Because Golgotha, the Romans had called it the place of the skull. And because that was just outside of the fortress, that was the main thoroughfare in the day of Jesus. And they would always crucify people on the main thoroughfare. Now, we have this, and I don't mean to say it this way, this romantic view of the crucifixion, how it's high upon a mountain, right? And you see it far away from the city. Nope. They crucified them at ground level. Their crosses weren't very high. Usually there was a post that was already in the ground and they could move it up and down. In fact, the movie Risen does probably the best a depiction of a crucifixion of any of the movies that I've seen. They have this beam that's on a hinge. And so what you would do is you would bring your cross member to it. They would lay that upon that beam that's always there, nail that to the beam and nail you to the cross member and then to the main beam, your feet. And then they would prop you up. And when you were done, they'd pull the pin, it would drop down. They would take the cross member off, take your body and huck it. And usually it was just a pile of bodies. That's the Roman way. And now we have Calvary, and they crucified him. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And crucifixion was a very brutal way to die. You died from suffocation. You didn't die from the nails. You'd, typically they um, crucified people naked as well. And you would be up there sometimes for days. Most of the time, the way that you died was either, and I don't mean to be graphic, but by birds eating your head or the jackals eating your feet and going up. How could they do that? Because you were basically at ground level. You were a little bit higher. Remember it says that uh, the religious leaders and people walk by and they spit on him? You can't spit on somebody that's way high up in the air. It's at ground level. And again, we've kind of had this different view of the cross than actually what happened. And I find fascinating, too, uh, archaeology. I love biblical archaeology. There's a magazine called Biblical Archaeology. It's wonderful. But they found in Israel, finally, uh, somebody that had been buried, and it was a piece of the wood left with the nail spike still in his foot, both of them together. So the bones were still there. So they recovered whatever was left of his body, but underneath it in this piece was the wood from that and the spike went down, bent, and both feet were still attached. So they they just ripped this guy right out and threw him into his burial place. And so we see from the right hand and on the left, we see two criminals again fulfilling God's word that he would be numbered with the criminals. And note with me, Luke just doesn't give us a whole lot of information. He doesn't give us the seven sayings of Jesus upon the cross. He is simply telling us, this is what happened, why we got to this event. And Jesus said unto them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. By the way, that is an important verse for our day. There are a lot of people think that they're doing good by shutting down the opposition or whatever. And we need to be just as forgiving as they are, uh, as Jesus was here. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast lots. Again, all of this, Matthew describes and details the uh, the Old Testament verses for it. And people stood looking at him. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he is truly the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen of God. So they're mocking Jesus. Now the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, again to dull the pain, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written above him in Greek and in Latin, and in Hebrew, the three great languages of the day, saying that this is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Notice what this guy says, and then the other thief. And the other answered him, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So up to this point, Jesus has been on the cross for several hours. We believe starting at 9, okay, and we're going to see we're going to get to 12 in a minute where there's going to be darkness from 12 to 3. So six hours hanging on the cross, that's a long time for somebody to witness what's going on with this man. Jesus is alive, he's uh, making those seven statements, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Something is happening to this thief. He is watching what Jesus is doing, and he is watching Jesus die. But he's watching him do it in a way that he's never seen in his entire life. Jesus is a testimony not only for the entire world, but here specifically, this one man. And I find it interesting that at the cross, at the site of Golgotha, we've got two people and only two people on planet Earth. Those that will mock Jesus who is on the cross. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You guys believe that... A carpenter hanging on a cross is going to save you, and you're going to be in eternity with him. Good luck with that. Isn't that what we hear? You're delusional for thinking that that carpenter is going to save you. And then on the other side, we have somebody who knows that they're a sinner. Did you see his statement? How do we know this guy saved? Because he said, I'm a sinner. I did wrong. He recognizes that he is paying for his sins. And then he realizes, but this guy is innocent. Two people in the world. You will either mock Jesus or you will eventually see that you are a sinner and that that man is the only man that can save you. Nothing will be able to save. Listen, everybody is hanging on a cross today. Do you all know that? Everybody on planet Earth. We are all dead in our passes, and our sin. People don't like me when I say that they're a sinner. People come here, family and friends bring them, and they're like, I was good up until the point that he called me a dirty, rotten sinner. How dare he? He doesn't know me. I do. You're a daughter or a son of Adam and Eve. We have sin that we inherit. And if you don't believe me, Go to the back of children's ministry and watch them say, mine, no. You ever teach your kid to roll around on the ground of Walmart and have a tantrum? Anybody? Like, you're not doing that right. I want more arms flailing. We don't have to teach our kids to sin. They do it so well. So do we. We don't need Satan's help to sin. Amen. Stop blaming it on on Satan, by the way. Satan made it. No, you're a sinner like me. We all have our issues, don't we? We are the greatest dysfunctional family. But we have Jesus. See the difference between one criminal and this other criminal? I can't wait to meet this guy. He's going to have the shirt that says I was number one. That's not really humble in heaven, but I'm going to give it to the guy. Number one. Notice what he says. Do you not even fear God? And most people don't. They don't care. They believe Nietzsche. They believe Marx. They believe Darwin. They believe Lenin. They believe their professors. They have no fear of God. He says, we indeed... Receive our due reward, but this man has done nothing wrong. we got to keep going here. And then he said to Jesus, how powerful was the statement? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a, you know, sometimes we think we got to jump all these hoops to get into heaven. All you got to do is say and know that who you are as a sinner. Know that you're condemned to death. And that the only way to get out of that is to cry out to Jesus. What a simple prayer. We don't need this quote unquote sinner's prayer that's long and lengthy. Lord, I'm a sinner. You're the way out. Please save me. Come into my life. Transform me. Isn't that great? Done. Look at the words of Jesus. Verse 43, assuredly I say to you. Which means you can count on it today. What does today mean? Right now, buddy, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't want to go on this. I don't want to make people mad. Note with me, he didn't get baptized. What? Because people make that a big deal. Oh, you got to be baptized. Well, that's, it's important. But this guy got in. I mean, was he right before Jesus? Someone get a bucket. And he's in. Nope. Do you see sometimes the things that we make a big deal that are really not a big deal? Jesus didn't make it a big deal. He said, Buddy, you're with me? (laughs) How cool is that to be the only guy with Jesus for a little bit? Like, we were hanging out, falafel. He says, Today you'll be with me, what, in paradise? Which means when you breathe your last, you're with Jesus. There's no soul sleep, kids. You're with Jesus. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul said. That is a promise from God. Now, it was about the sixth hour, that's noon. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, that's three. Now, what I find fascinating about this, that this is documented in secular history. The Greeks have it documented that there was this unusual length of darkness. If you have an eclipse of the, the sun, that doesn't last very long. Remember the last one we had? By the way, that was the coolest thing. Took my kids. We watched it down uh, in, in Georgetown County. I mean, I, that was like bucket list. Cool. Now, they document that this happened for about three hours. The, in the South Pacific, where we have some uh, tribes down there, right, they also have this documented on the other side of the planet. So it was dark in Jerusalem, in Rome, but also in the South Pacific. The enti- I don't know, did he just, you know, turn off the sun? Mm, off. Turned it off for three hours. To show the world the darkness of sin. Notice the sun was darkened. And then... The veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil that was 18 inches thick was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, top to bottom. So that man would have entrance. Man could never separate that which God could only do. And that's a whole message right there, the entrance into the Father. Now we come boldly to the throne of grace. And Jesus cried out, with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, Jesus had told, told us that no one takes his life. I lay it down freely of myself. Jesus said to tell "I it's finished, it's done. You know what I like about that is that Jesus tells us that there is a finite amount of time on planet Earth. And when your time is done, it's done. Why live here any longer? I don't want to say this, but I don't want to be here at 120 years or 100 years. I want to be here just as long as I am in need for the kingdom of God. It's not that I don't like you all, or I don't love my family, but this is just a temporary stopover until where we are going. So when the centurion saw it, saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly... This was a righteous man. And it could very well be that this centurion was the head of watching what was going on. He was in control. And the whole crowd came together to that sight, seeing that he, that what had been done. And they beat their breast and returned, their, their wailing and lamenting. But all of his accomplices and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. All we know from the other Gospels is that John... Um, is there? We don't see of any other um, apostles there but John. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member and a good and a just man, and he had not consented to their decision. Indeed, for he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God, which leads us to believe he was a student of the Bible and he was listening and looking at prophecy and the days of which would be fulfilled. This man went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had uh, ever laid. The, the idea of Joseph of Arimathea here and Nicodemus, we know that from another gospel, coming and getting Jesus. Everybody is gone at this point. Jesus is hanging on the cross and Joseph goes to get permission to take him. Uh, Pilate gives him permission. Other gospels tell us that this is Joseph's tomb. It's a brand new tomb just hewn out and it, is, it, it says that there was a garden nearby And so when you go to Israel, you can see Golgotha and, you know, it's nearby a garden. And that's where this tomb is. Is that the tomb? Could be. It fits the narrative very well. But I want you to see two guys, possibly in their upper 50s or 60s, taking down the body of Jesus. Again, was it still upright? Was it like we see today where uh, maybe they, it was hinged and they pulled it down? But whatever they did, I guarantee you they did it with gentleness. What was it like because the Romans typically when the nails went through the hands or the wrist, they would bend that nail back. What was it like for these guys to use the tools and bend that back and take that spike out? Take the spike out of his feet. See the, the wound in his side that had gushed blood and water. How gentle were these men? It would be an interesting conversation, won't it, in heaven? Joseph and Nicodemus. What was that like taking the body of our king off the cross? And they took it down and they wrapped it in linen. And they laid it in a tomb that was hewn out for, of the rock where no one had laid. Now, other Gospels tell us that his body was wrapped up and his head had a separate wrapping, which kind of flies in the face <laughs> of the, the, what is the cloth called? The, the Shroud of Turin. Remember, that's like all one piece, but the Gospels don't tell us that. It tells us that there were two pieces. And so they wrap him in linen. And by the way, there's a whole process that goes on, but they don't have time. They got to get him in the ground before three stars are visible in the sky, which means that's the Sabbath. That's why this is in haste. That's why you wonder, why are the women going back on Sunday to add because they are going to do the official process? And so these two men take him Notice it says that this was the day of the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women had come with him from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Why, verse 55, you'll get a mint for this. Why does Luke say that? Why does Luke specifically say that the women knew where the tomb was? Because one of the arguments that come later after Luke is writing this is that the the women didn't know where the tomb was and they got lost. And so they went to a different tomb, thought it was the tomb of Jesus, but it really wasn't because they were hysterical and they didn't know. And Luke goes, no, they knew. If, If Jesus is your Messiah and you've been following him for three years, Wouldn't we all agree that these people knew exactly what tomb he was laid in? And I don't mean to say it this way, but I mean, we're kind of changing as a nation too far as burials. There's still, we still put people into the ground. But if you have a parent and you bury them, do you know where they're laid? You better believe you do. It's someone that you love. And so you're going to take note of that. Again, some of the arguments about the resurrection of Jesus from the other side are just ridiculous. There were hysterical women and they didn't know where Jesus was laid. But Luke makes a point because this is written later after Mark and after Matthew so that he wants to fill us in and goes, no, 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 they knew exactly where he was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oil, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandments. So Joseph and Nicodemus did their part to lay Jesus, do the best that they could to uh, get him laid out in Jewish tradition and some of the spices, and then again Sunday morning, really early, the women get up to go and to finish the process. That's 12 hours of Jesus. <laughs> and remember, it started probably about midnight before. It's about 18 hours of this going on. Being ridiculed by men, having politicians and religious leaders lie about you, lie about your intent. But ultimately, I, I don't want you to be <laughs> bummed out about this, but this, this was all done by the hand of God. Acts 2, verse 23 says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. This was all done by design. Man had his part in it, but it was by the foreknowledge of God. Now, it's Friday, but Sunday's are coming. So read ahead, very exciting, chapter, chapter 24 for next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the pain and the suffering that you went through on our behalf so that we, like the thief on the cross, would be with you today in paradise. Thank you, Lord, for your provision, your blessing. And, Lord, that we can count on when we close our eyes here and open them in eternity, we will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord, for Dr. Luke and his account here. Thank you, Lord, that we even have Bibles that we are meeting together as the body of Christ and that we would stand firm against the loud voices today that would marginalize Christianity and Christ and the church. And we pray for those pastors and ministries who are in the forefront, Lord, of being attacked in the United States of America. Who would ever dream of that? Thank you, Lord, that we're open, that we're meeting, and we're loving our neighbor by giving them the truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.